Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. What I personally loved about it was it's village to village. So we were staying in small hotels or hostels, um, and then eventually gites and auberges and mountain huts, mountain refuges. So um, that's all different types of places to stay, but basically food, you know, a warm meal at night, most of the time hot showers, not every time, and um, breakfast in the morning. And we picnicked pr- every single day, pretty much. That's Kathy Elkine, today's guest, sharing a bit about her experience walking with her husband for three months plus on the GR5, one of Europe's famous long-distance trails that runs from the Netherlands through Belgium and Luxembourg and covers France from north to south. An epic journey. She had never done anything like this before. Of course, we talk about that. We love exploring the different ways you can travel the world. And this certainly is one of them, whether you consider this exact trail or another trail experience that takes you from village to village somewhere else in the world. Got plenty of options. This episode will give you a great idea about what that experience is like for the traveler. And like any trip, this one came with its challenges. Obviously, walking with your husband for 98 days, um, there's going to be some suffering <laughs> and uh, or just walking. You'll get to hear more about the entire experience in this show. Kathy's also a mindful self-compassion coach. We get some incredible practical techniques for calming yourself, for soothing yourself, self-compassion, something you can do whether you're home or abroad, and much more coming at you in this episode right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I love these conversations around human-powered travel and especially when it's with somebody who had never done anything like this before, dives in, you're really going to get a lot of takeaways in this interview, and not just about the trip. Of course, we cover the practical logistics of this particular trail, but you get to hear about that experience as a traveler, what it's like uh, going on foot through several countries, and what happens when two people who want two different types of adventures want to plan a trip together. You're going to get some advice for finding that compromise that works for everybody, And keep an ear out for the term wise strength, which is something that Kathy shares. I really appreciated this. And I'll have more thoughts around this this term on the back end of the interview, along with a quote to send you on your way. Check out Kathy's work over at kathyelkine.com. We'll link up to that in the show notes. And don't forget, if you haven't done so yet, zerototravel.com slash newsletter. Sign up to join the community off the podcast over there. Get the free weekly newsletter. Let's get into the conversation with Kathy, and I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Thanks for listening. Kathy Elkind, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. 
Thank you, Jason. I'm excited to be here. Are you in Vermont now? Yes, I am in Vermont. Okay. Yes. Yep. Yeah, because I just kind of imagine you sipping coffee on a porch in Vermont or something somewhere. I don't know why. It <laughs> sounds like a nice Vermont thing to do. Vermont has its own unique kind of culture, I feel. Oh, yes. Yes, it does. And, you know, we've been here six years, so we're still new. <laughs> okay. Where did you move from? Uh, we lived in Massachusetts beforehand, and that's where we, I grew up in Massachusetts, and that's where we raised our children, uh, and about 40 miles outside of Boston. And then in 2017, we moved up here full-time. We had been coming up to ski on week, winter weekends. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I wanted to hear, since you have a somewhat fresh perspective, I guess, right? I mean, you yeah. guys haven't, you didn't grow up there. You didn't live there. Can you describe Vermont culture for us? True old Vermont culture is, uh, we probably haven't broken into. <laughs> um, there, you know, there's a big tourist industry and, you know, we actually, you know, came up as weekenders and then slowly the Mad River Valley where we live, um, there's a lot of arts and culture. The people, many people came up in the 60s, um, uh, sort of the hippie group came up in the 60s. And so that started to change the traditional farms and things like that. Um, but there's still some dairy um, farms around. And then farming has had a resurgence with um, trying to have fresh food. So there's some wonderful CSAs around here. Um, far, great farm stands. Fresh food is really good. And um, m many of the farmers have figured out how to grow food all year round with cold um, cold houses and picking vegetables that grow well, um, even even in the cold. So um, that's wonderful. We love that part. Are you thriving there? Are you guys enjoying am your I life thriving? there? <laughs> yes, I am thriving. I, I am thriving. <laughs> I, it's a 12 minute ride uh, drive to get to, you know, wonderful hiking and skiing. So we're, we're very lucky. I love Vermont. I, I feel like it's the closest state in terms of kind of geography and feel to Norway, where I live, in, in a way. You know, you got the mountains, you got a lot of farms, you got, of course, two totally different places, but it's always been an intriguing place to me. You know, the, there's like those set of destinations that you're like, hmm, I could, I could live there. I guess Vermont was that for you. And then you're like, all right, well, let's just go there then. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been married? We now it's 30, boy, it'll be 33 years next month. So, um, mm. quite a while. That's a, that's a magical number. The three, three. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I bring it up cause your husband's going to play a prominent role in this conversation, I think in some ways, because yes, he uh, is. Yep. <laughs> you guys did some walking together and I'm very attracted to these long distance trails in Europe. I wish I knew about these trail systems when I was a younger traveler because I was just talking to uh, another listener in this community I met up with in the city the other day about this. It was one of those things that, like, I just didn't know these things were around and it would have been a really cool way to experience a destination. And you have done the GR5 and some other walks, it sounds like. So I'm curious to get some of the advice around planning and all that, but also I want to hear about the journey itself from your perspective and how it was for you guys. And I don't want to forget the book too. To walk it is to see it. One couple, 98 days, 1400 miles on Europe's GR5. And that title kind of says it all. It's like, oh, what happened to that couple? <laughs> 98 <laughs> days together. Is that a lot? Is that, is that too much time together, Kathy? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll answer that a little bit later, <laughs> um, but uh, I'll start off saying, so when we did move up to Vermont, we kind of thought, well, this is the perfect time to take an adult gap year before uh, we jump into a new community. So we researched and asked people questions, you know, what should we do? And as you said, my, my husband is much um, more hardcore than I am. He would go you know, bicycle around the world if he could or something like that. He's, he just has much more energy than I do. And I'm an outdoorsy person, but at this point in my life, in my, that, when we started, I was 57 when we were 
started this um, adventure. I didn't want to carry a heavy pack anymore. We had done backpacking, grow, um, you know, when we were younger, and we actually did it with our kids and things like that. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to carry a heavy pack. I didn't really want to camp anymore. I, I'm happy to go camp for a couple of nights, but I don't want to camp day after day. So we just kept asking people. And we ended up running into a Frenchman, and I always think synchronicity is a big part of these searches. And he talked about walking the GR5, which I had never heard of, <laughs> Grand Randonnée Sank, if I said it correctly. Um, and he had actually walked the Alps part, which is from Lake Geneva down to Nice, which is called, also called the Grand Traverse. And that's the very well-known part of the GR5. But I didn't, I either didn't hear that or listen. And I went and Googled GR5 and I found that it starts in Hoek van Holland in the Netherlands and goes through Belgium, Luxembourg, and then the whole length of France. And I'm like, wow, this sounds kind of cool. <laughs> and uh, what I personally loved about it was it's village to village. So we were staying in small hotels or hostels. Um, and then eventually gites and auberges and mountain huts, mountain refuges. So um, that's all different types of places to stay, but basically food, you know, a warm meal at night, most of the time hot showers, not every time, and um, breakfast in the morning. And we picnicked pr every single day, pretty much. Yeah. So it sounds like it was a good compromise for at least the way you described to your husband being like he would just bike around the world tomorrow and you're like, oh, I want a little more comfort. And this is kind of the best of both worlds in some ways. Exactly. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a compromise. And then um, as I was, so I personally, part of what I like about travel is doing the research. So I read a bunch of blogs and books and, um, and I kept reading, especially in the beginning that it was flat, you know, the Netherlands are flat, the canals and, um, and Northern Belgium is fl flat too. And I, um, and I, and I also talked about being on bike paths and fair amount of pavement, which I was like, Oh, that doesn't sound good. And I was a little worried that Jim was going to mutiny. So I suggested that we bike the first week. And that actually worked out very well. Um, and that would have been about three weeks of walking. Um, so we did, you know, I don't know, walkers would say we cheated a little, but the way I look at it is that we just adapted the adventure to make it work for us. So we rented bikes actually in Amsterdam and rode down and that tulips just happened to be blooming, which is also another cool, I had just hadn't paid attention that the tulips were going to be blooming and we got to see those which was so dramatic. These color swaths of color on the flat landscape were just spectacular. And so, and then we biked for a week on the GR5 and we paid a little extra to have the owner of the bike shop from Amsterdam drive down and pick up our bikes. So, so that worked out really well. Had you done any larger scale, let's call them adventures like this, where it's a uh... 98 days so you're talking about over three months of human powered travel not not like a week not a weekend but over th over three months out there had you done anything like that before no we had not at all the longest i think we had done is you know a week of backpacking or a week of biking um so that was that was the long this is definitely the longest we really didn't know what we had gotten ourselves into um you know, I, again, I had done a lot of research and Jim had done a lot of research too. So I feel like we had done our homework. <laughs> you mentioned the synchronicity. It never f ceases to amaze me how many conversations I've had with people on this podcast and off the podcast where, you know, we have access to all this information, right, on the internet, just unlimited amounts of blogs and YouTube videos and blah, blah. But still... A lot of people end up at destinations or doing things because somebody told them about it. Some person told them about it and they had a conversation. They just like started vibing the idea and being like, okay, yeah, you can look up, you looked up all the information later. But I just, I don't know. I just wanted to point that out because I always think that's uh, cool and never underestimate the power of a, of a good conversation with another human. <laughs> yes, to I totally agree. And I also, I believe in, in putting it out there, like, say out into the universe, we're looking for some trip that's going to work for both of us or, you know, um, and, and being open to having the answers come to you. 
Is that part of your operating system as far as life? Are you, are yeah, you a believer? Yeah. In, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And as I've gotten older, older and older, I think I'm believing it more and more and trusting it more and more. What do you think that is? It's a little bit of faith, uh, faith in spirit or um, faith in the flow of life and, and what we are meant to, why we are here on earth. And um, I do, you know, I do believe that we were meant to do this walk. And then um, when I came home, I hadn't planned on writing the book. I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I hadn't planned on writing the book. Uh, but when I got home, I just couldn't stop thinking about the walk and I missed it. And it was just such an amazing experience. And uh, Jim and I did a, f- a few slideshows to share with people, but I still couldn't get away from it. So I ended up uh, starting to write about it. And I had done some writing for my business, writing a blog and things like that. But I never thought about, well, I sort of thought about writing a memoir, but I didn't, never really thought knew what I was going to write about. And here, here it came to me. So I just feel like um, I wanted to share the idea of slow travel and um, slow, slow walk it walking at a what let you said the human pace is um, it's pretty special. You just said you couldn't get away from it. What do you mean? Why couldn't you get away from it? You mean the impact it was having on you? Yes, the impact it was having on me. And um, I, I had I had a business down in Massachusetts, and I was trying to bring it up um, and work on it, uh, you know, switch it up to Vermont. And it just wasn't working. I couldn't figure out, I couldn't find an office. Things just kept <laughs> not working. Um, so I felt like the universe was telling me, don't go that direction. I, I offered some workshops and, you know, people showed up, but not a lot, not a lot of people. And I, um, I think I was, just, I also was tired. I didn't want to put a whole bunch of effort into restarting my business. It just wasn't in the flow. It wasn't working, but the idea of writing, um, just really appealed to me in it. Um, and once I sat down and um, just started writing the story, basically, I just wrote the stories that I remembered. And then later went back and looked at I had written a journal, basically just a paragraph each day. And Jim had kept a journal to a paragraph each day. And um, yeah, the whole writing was a whole process in itself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could have been in that situation. It's sometimes it's hard to listen to or tune into what is in the flow and what isn't, you know, I mean, you could have easily just like, all right, well, I got to make this business work and just try to kind of like bully your way through it, you know, and, and, and just make it happen. Right. Instead of kind of relaxing into the intuition a bit and thinking, all right, well, what, what am I actually drawn to right now? Where's this? I'm going What's somewhere. Pulling else. Me. Yeah. It's not, yeah. not always an easy thing to do. And it's from an act of privilege too. Yeah, absolutely. Did the walk help you tune into some of that stuff for yourself? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, three months <laughs> of walking, um, and as you talked about, so Jim and I, we sort of fell into a pattern of walking, not right, not chatting in the morning. Um, you know, we would talk to say, well, we got to go, you know, here and here. But we walked, um, we always saw, could see each other, but we walked separately. One of us was in front and the other person was behind, but, and that switched constantly. But um, yeah, we had a lot of alone time or, you know, I would don't call it, you know, solitude, time with yourself and time with nature. And even though it's village to village, many of the European villages, it's very, because the villages are densely populated, it doesn't take long to get out into the rolling fields or the woods. And um, you're out there in nature and basically meditating. <laughs> a walk, it's a walking meditation for hours and hours. And tuning into what, you know, what your body is feeling. And um, I'm a mindful self-compassion teacher too. So uh, I definitely, and as, as anybody who's taken yoga classes, meditation classes, any of that kind of thing, and over the years and being in your late 50s, you've had a lot of experience. And this, I think this whole experience, it gave me the chance to tune into all of this I don't want to call it stuff, all these different practices that I had practiced, 
but then um, really integrated them. I really integrated them into my body during this whole walk. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So it's not just the the hypothetical or the mindset, but actually practicing the whatever the teaching or the the mindset, actually implementing it in a way. That's really cool. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. Well, I didn't know you were a mindful, self-compassion teacher. Talk about that. I'm actually supposed to say a teacher of mindful self-compassion. Um, so let's see, Kristen Neff is sort of a PhD um, professor of uh, self-compassion. And Christopher Germer was a mindfulness teacher. And the two of them got together. Uh, uh, and the whole idea is that we all suffer. And when we suffer, we need, when a friend suffers, we give them compassion. But sometimes a friend isn't there, a friend or a family member isn't there to give yourself to give you compassion. So you need to learn to give yourself compassion. I'll try to make a long story short. So uh, growing up, I had dyslexia, which is I, I didn't learn to read till about seventh grade, uh, which as a little girl, not reading is a very difficult thing. And I had a lot of shame around it. I didn't feel um, like the other girls. I felt different. And uh, it was a lot of shame. So even though my parents helped, I got lots of support and help. The, the shame of not being able to be like everybody else, being different, so I use food to numb and soothe my emotions. And that sort of straggled through my life, <laughs> this uh, wanting to eat. And so I actually became an eating psychology coach. And that process of I felt I really enjoyed being an eating psychology coach, but I still felt like there was missing something missing. And I was reading um, one of Brene Brown's books, and she talked about the antidote to shame is self-compassion. And in that same sentence, she mentioned Kristen Neff. So I signed up for her class and, you know, trained in it um, or took the class. And then a year or two later, I took the teacher training. 
And um, I taught it for about four years, I would say. Um, And the idea is that when, first of all, mindfulness, noticing that you're having a difficult time, which we all do as being human, that's part of the human experience is, is some suffering. And then giving yourself compassion, putting your hand on your um, chest or somewhere gently, that self-touch just gently and shifting your tone of voice to like, ooh, this is hard and saying whatever you would say to a friend, but saying it to yourself and you don't have to say it out loud, but um, just giving yourself compassion and obviously walking with your husband for 98 days, (laughs) um, there's going to be some suffering (laughs) and uh, or just walking because you may get into town and realize that the place that you're staying is another two kilometers on the other side of town and you still have to coach yourself and give yourself compassion to get across town and when your feet are exhausted and your back is is sore and so that uh, that that's a long <laughs> answer to self what is mindful self-compassion okay yeah yeah so going back to what you said with uh, integrating it into your body is kind of these a walk like this presents those opportunities to actually implement those practices in real time because you're going, you may be confronted with more um, uncomfortable things more often than you would perhaps at home when you're on a journey like this. You mentioned putting your hand on your, on your heart, having a calming tone of voice and speaking to yourself and things like that. Are there any other tools that you would share with, you could share with people that would help them get into that self-compassion state because this is where, I mean, this is a thing a lot of people struggle with, right? Like you, you're beating yourself up because you did this or that the other day, or maybe you're not in a certain place where you want to be in your career or in life. It could be like big like that, or it could be a small daily thing. You know, there's a lot of opportunities to to practice self-compassion, <laughs> I feel, at least for me. Yes. So uh, yes. yeah, so I'd love to hear uh, any more you have to share on that topic. I mean, I think this advice also, obviously translates to you can use these tools anywhere in the world like you just discussed so yeah um well again it's uh i'll go a little bit deeper into um the practice of mindfulness of actually realizing that you are beating yourself up i so so many times we're stuck in these patterns and then so even noticing oh wait a minute I'm beating myself up um, and stopping it is number one um, just the noticing awareness which is basically mindfulness so that's a practice in itself and the idea why you put your hand on your heart is when um when you put your hand on your heart or on your chest, you can actually feel the warmth and um, the pressure. So warmth and pressure actually releases some oxytocin a little bit. So it's actually a hormonal change. And it, um, and many times when you're beating yourself up, also there's this stress level. So that's a way of releasing the stress. And then again, which this again takes practice shifting that tone of voice to, Oh dears. Um, and it sounds a little corny at first. It, again, it takes practice like, Oh, sweetie, this is hard. Or, Oh, you're having a bad day. And we're not trying to fix anything. We're just trying to comfort someone. So when you also, when you try to comfort a friend, you're not trying to fix them um, because they don't really want to be fixed. They just want to be, comforted, and they just want some kindness. So bringing kindness into your voice and bringing words like, ooh, this is hard. Um, And, you know, you're having a bad day. Does that make sense? They're subtle little um, pieces. And again, it it was hard for me to do that, uh, to learn to be, again, it sounds corny, but the more you do it, the better you sink into the practice. Yeah, I love it. The idea of uh, comforting yourself is something worth trying. <laughs> I feel like they, how can that hurt? Yeah, those are great techniques for just being with yourself, comforting yourself, like you mentioned, and and how can that not have some kind of effect? I mean, yeah, I hey, listen, I'm I'll try it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why not? 
Wait, one, can I add one yes, more thing? Um, please. So if you go to the Center of Mind for Mindful Self-Compassion, they have a bunch of uh, meditations. And one of them is, uh, it's a breathing one, um, breathing in compassion for yourself and breathing out compassion for either the rest of the world, or you can just pick one person. Um, uh, and they're basic, they're guided meditations. Um, and they're anywhere from, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes. But so it's the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. And that, you know, that's a begin, that's a good first step. Okay, great. The GR5, I want to get your advice around the trail, planning. I want to talk more, of course, about your experience and some of the transformation perhaps you experienced by committing to and doing the walk. But just for people that are interested, like myself, in these longer distance trails, particularly around Europe, where you have, as you mentioned, the option to you know, sleep in, in these cute villages and slow travel and explore lesser explored parts of Europe that most tourists aren't coming through just because they're not doing these, these types of walks. I want to hear about the travel experience, but also how would you tackle this for somebody that's, you know, like, wow, this GR5 sounds awesome. Or there are, I can't remember how many, I just looked it up before. There are like how many other long distance paths in, in Europe, something like, there's a bunch of them, basically. I'd imagine that some of the advice you share from your experience is such a long walk and translate to some of the other trails. So do you want to, do you want me to like kind of start with one question or do you just want to start to yeah, lay it out let, there? Let, because, why don't you start with yeah. one question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of planning, you know, how much do you need to book in advance? Let's say, did you meet other trail? I know you guys weren't camping along the way, but if you're carrying a tent and all, I imagine people can camp along the way. There's different laws in each country, of course. Yeah. Just with tackling it with, uh, being like, all right, how are we going to, how are we going to break this up? Are we going to do it? You know, X amount of kilometers or miles a day. And then are we going to pre-book everything? Are we just going to find accommodations along the way for the whole thing or for just these parts? Yeah. Like I have no idea how you tackled this. Um, well, I'll start out with the GR5 and I'll, then I'll tell you what we've learned too. Um, so the GR5, again, we read as many books and blogs that we could. Um, and there are now three books about the GR5. When we were walking back in 2018, there was not a guidebook for the northern section, but I did find a blog and it turns out that was the author of who ended up writing the guidebook. So I followed, we followed their blog in the northern section. And then there is another Cicerone. Are you familiar with Cicerone? I'm, I might not be pronouncing it correct. Ciceroni. It's yeah, a, they do a lot of the walking guides. Yes, a lot of the walking guides. So there's a, um, a walking guide in for the Vosges and the Jura, which are two mountain ranges just north of um, Lake Geneva. And then there's a whole nother um, guidebook for the Alps, because that's five weeks of walking. So the guidebooks really do tell you, you know, go from this village to this village. You know, we averaged about 12 miles. And also remember, everything in Europe is in kilometers. <laughs> so um, and in the beginning, we really didn't even know what our pace was, we knew, you know, we knew roughly that we were sort of a, probably an average walker, which it turns out that's what we were. So in the beginning, we were started in the late April. And um, uh, we knew th things weren't going to be too busy at that point. So we booked out two days in advance, or two or three days in advance. The one thing we had not realized is there are a lot of different holidays in the springtime. And so Mondays were holidays in some places. And um, that it all worked out, but some of we had a few little surprises. Uh, as we got down into June and July, we did in the Alps, we did book out um, two weeks, at, two weeks at a time, because um, you know, we just wanted to know that we had a place to stay. I, I, we, and then now we have learned that I think if you showed up at a, 
at a refuge and you did not have a place to stay, they would let you stay on the floor. You know, they're not going to push you, push you out. So they will, they would give you a place to stay, but we didn't really know that at the time. So we did. um, And also, you know, being in our late 50, again, I, I liked knowing that we had a place, um, a place booked out. And eventually we learned that our pace was four kilometers an hour, which gave us time to stop and have, you know, snacks and go to the bathroom, whatever. It, it was a good average, average pace. Um, one of the best books um, that helped me plan for the GR5 is a book actually that's out of print now. And it, um, it two women from the U.S. walk the GR5 in, where's my list of, um, in, what was it, in uh, 1984. And um, it's uh, walking Europe top, from top to bottom. And that um, you can get it from secondhand bookstores. And what's neat about that is they have each section. Um, they have a picture of each um, section of the walk in a map. And then even how many hours it took them to get um, from place to place. So that was very helpful. So I'm kind of a big picture thinker. And we... I would be the one who'd say, all right, we're going to go to here, to here, to here. And then we also would, we've started, we've made spreadsheets or just on a piece of paper, like the distance you're going to do, the name of the village, the date, the contact, the phone number, and the address. And then you have to remember to put the address either in your calendar or right onto your GPS, whatever um, GPS we use, Gaia and um so it's a, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of work. Um, but again, we find it fun. Um, Spreadsheets and long walks always go hand in hand, right? I mean, that's yeah. the first thing you think of is a, spread, a yeah. good spreadsheet. Now, um, what about the costs? And I know that you guys stayed in places every night and things like that. And And I mentioned the camping thing. I was just assuming that it can be done cheaper and perhaps you ran some other travelers doing it that way. I'm just curious if you have a, a sort of a range of what it might cost somebody to take this adventure on. Well, you definitely could do it cheaper. We ran into people who were wild camping or, or camping. Um, you know, many of the Europeans that we saw, the Dutch love to walk and, you know, the French love to walk and, um, Many of them would do two or three weeks at a time every year and then go back and, you know, to keep continue on. Um, and so wild camping and uh, we ran into, you know, two older Dutch women and, you know, they they ended up running into people that said, oh, just come camp in our yard. <laughs> but there were camp there were campgrounds and things like that. Um so yes, you could do it cheaper. There were also more youth, you know, hostels that um, were possibilities and municipal gites. As you get um, many of the towns, especially as you get into the Alps and the Jura, have uh, municipal gites, which is basically a you know a hostel that's run by the town because they want walkers to come through. And you know, some of them were you know sixteen euro a night for um, for a bed, and so it was you know, it was, you know, you could do it much more inexpensively than we did. We, we would go back and forth between staying in Jeets and a little bit nicer, but we never stayed in, we stayed in one fancy place and that was kind of fun. (laughs) It's part of (laughs) that. Do you have any idea what you spent? Um, I don't have the exact, the exact number. Um, I, I want to, like Jim would say, but I don't think this has ever, he kept track of things. Uh, He would say, not including the flight or anything like that, he would say it was $5,000 for the three months. But I think we spent a little bit more than that. Mm -hmm. But still, I was going to guess like somewhere between eight and 10 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a a closer guess. Sleeping and hotels and things like that. And, yeah, but uh, like I said, I mean, so it sounds like probably can be done anywhere between two or three to 10, depending on, you know, I mean, I suppose there's people that, you know, 
all, all ends of the spectrum, right? Somebody could probably do it for no money and, you know, pick berries along the way. Uh, who knows? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and you can always do the couch surfing thing and other things like that. But I mean, I get you kind of laid out how you want to do the trip and where you guys are at in life and how that relates to how you design this trip, which I think is an important point. Whether you're taking a traditional, let's call it backpacking trip or something like this where you're you're off for uh, an adventure for three, three or four months on a long walk, still knowing thyself and kind of planning around, you're like, okay, I need this level of comfort to kind of make this overall enjoyable. Not that you're not going to have challenges and things aren't going to be tough, but yeah, I think that's a good thing to consider too. So the walking as a couple part. I mean, that's the tagline in your book. One couple, 98 days, 1400 miles. Okay. <laughs> what was the uh, conclusion there? Do you guys, did did anything change? Was it just like, oh, we just got to spend more time together? Or did you have any shifts in your relationship along the way or after that? Because um, of the well, trip? There, yeah, there were a couple of sort of surprises. Um, and one of them was, in some ways, we actually sort of, you know, not bickered, but, you know, in, in some ways, there was less confrontation because we were kind of uh, united. It was like the two of us, again, not against the world, but, you know, w- moving through the world and supporting each other. And even in the even in the planning stages, you know, we've been married so long, we know that each of us are better at doing different things tasks. And so we each picked, you know, our strengths and worked with those. And that always makes life more, you know, flow better. And so again, when while we were walking together in the in the beginning, um, we were, um, yeah, very united and, you know, watching out for each other. And we were both, you know, maybe nervous at different times, um, but supporting each other. It wasn't until we got down to, um, uh, Lake Geneva towards the end of the, well, the, bef- just before the Alps. And we had two and a half days off. And I feel like we just sort of let down our guard. And that's when the teeny, you know, the little stuff, like er- anything he did was just bugging me. And I'm sure anything I was doing bugged him. Um, because, and that's the other thing I noticed. And this, I think I noticed because from writing the book is that when you're at home, I don't know, the things that we argue about is like who how who loaded the dishwasher the wrong way or you know or who used this but didn't put it away. It's the silly again, the silly little things, but when we were traveling, we each had our own we didn't have too much communal equipment um to fight over or to argue with. And life was uh in some ways it was simpler. We had just the clothes on our back. Um we, you got up every morning and put pretty much the same clothes on. There weren't all those decisions to make. Um, you know, obviously we had to decide, you know, when we were planning, that was probably the more difficult days. But again, that time in Geneva, when the little things started bugging us and we did argue more, uh, I think it was just the, the letdown a little bit. Um, and then luckily we had friends come over and meet us in the Alps, and we walked for them. For, we walked with them for uh, a week, and that was just lovely to have. Oh, nice, you know, some outside uh, people. Yeah, that's a great tip too. Kind of have somebody join you, you know, just to keep it fresh for a, a period of the of the walk. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee? every day. I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. 
thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Did you find that you, just from this experience, that you have lived your life differently in any way afterwards? So when we moved up to Massachusetts, we got rid of a lot of our stuff <laughs> anyway. So I was, you know, shedding and getting rid of things and simplifying life. And um, so that was, you know, that was my intention to not, you know, I, I don't need four pairs of sandals. <laughs> you know, I just need one pair of sandals. So um, I, I have set the intention of being more uh, simplified with clothing and things like that. You know, I have not gone to the extreme. Sometimes I still see a nice dress that I want. But um, I think I have brought um, simplicity and a little bit of minimalism into, you know, into my life now, more into my life. Um, And as far as Jim, um, the act of writing actually brought us together too, because when you have to write the dialogue of your, of your spouse, (laughs) um, as true to as it can, I realized there were some of the times maybe I was wrong, and he was right. (laughs) And so um, that was a whole experience um, in itself. And, you know, Jim read the the menu different um, drafts and um, there were a few times he's like, well, let's not share that. And I'm like, that's okay. you know. And so, um, you know, we share a lot in the book, um, but we don't share everything. And um, I feel like our love for each other and our respect for each other has grown through the process of walking and, and writing about it. Because when, as you're writing about it, you totally are reliving the whole, you know, all the whole, all the stories. Right. Seeing it from all angles and trying to figure out how to how to relay the stories. But Kathy, we all know the husband's never right. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Not kidding. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes the husbands are right. (laughs) (laughs) On occasion, on occasion. On occasion. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Were there any, what would you say was the biggest realization for you? You know, you lead a life up to a trip like this and you have other trips and life and whatever, and then you have a trip like this. And so you can't always just attribute transformations to one particular trip. You know, you can't just parse out everything else in life. But um, but at the same time, you often find that when you reflect upon these things, whether it's immediately afterwards or you mentioned becoming more minimalistic, which is, uh, I would say, like adopting a new value in a way, you know, there are things that you can kind of directly relate back to a trip or a travel experience. And I'm just wondering for you, was there anything else in terms of a self-realization or... Um, you know, you mentioned in the book description some of the things you talked about already, struggling with the the shame from before with the dex- dyslexia and some of the things I imagine you were contemplating during the walk. And, you know, it doesn't have to be some big thing. Maybe there was no realization. I'm just curious for you. Yeah, um, I think basically I found um, or I began to trust my body more and I through the whole process, because I did struggle in the beginning, um, figuring out, I began to trust my own pace of walking and, um, and really listening to my body. And um, so I sort of called it why I call it wise strength. Um, I feel like the word strength, um, we need more words in the English language for the word strength, because Strength for a 20-year-old is very different than strength for a, you know, a 60-year-old. So 
Um, again, I call it sort of wise strength. Um, you know, I can walk across, <laughs> I can walk across a continent. I've pr- proved that to myself. So I, I am stronger, you know, than I think. And, um, and I think many women and men are strong, you know, we're all stronger than we think. Um, and, but we have to do it our own pace. <laughs> I guess that's what I've learned is, um, not the external pace of the world, and not even our spouse's space, pace. We have to um, trust our own pace. And um, yeah, um, and, and I think that translates to, you know, emotional strength and heart strength too. Um, you know, trust, trusting yourself. And I never used to really hike by myself. And now even day hikes, I didn't used to. And now I'm perfectly happy to go hike on the long trail for a full day and just enjoy, enjoy the solitude. I don't have to be with other people. And again, at, back to the when I was writing it, I did go on long walks to help me get myself back into, into the pace of walking and the uh, the meditation and it really helped, uh, you know, different words would come to me and phrases and things like that. So, um, yeah. Strength. Wise, wise strength. I love that. I love that the realization for you was body-based, I guess. You tend to think that we focus so much on the thinking and our mindset or how we think our way into the next situation or try to find our purpose by, getting into our thinking mind, but this is one of the big benefits you could say of uh, human power travels. It really forces you back into your body and that, that can play a big role obviously in life as well. I mean, that's, it's huge, right? It's just something, I don't know. We're just, we're so used to thinking about all of this stuff. It's, it's just, how about just good old fashioned, get back into the body and (laughs) kind of, see what comes out from that. Because I think a lot of this, you mentioned why strength. I mean, maybe some of that wisdom just comes from the body up instead of the top down. <laughs> I, yes, completely. And one of the interesting things I noticed is, um, so I was doing sh- small uh, YouTube videos um, for, you know, my business and, and talking about body image and things like that. But what I noticed is when I was hiking uphill, I would get more ideas. And that's when I would like say, Oh, I got to do a video. And I just pull out my phone. And sometimes I was just talking into the phone to remember ideas and things like that. Um, but I definitely got more ideas going uphill, which and I don't know the science behind it. But I, I found that really interesting that um, uh, that I got more many more ideas. Um, flooded with ideas as I walked uphill and um, yeah, the blood pumping through your body as you go uphill. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, that's why they say it's all downhill from there, right? You get all the ideas (laughs) going up and then it's all downhill. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For better or worse. No, no. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, when I walk and it's something about, yeah, when you're exerting again, I don't know the science behind it either. I wish I did. Then I could go on some, I could start quoting scientific journals or something, but I'm not that kind of <laughs> podcaster. Sorry. Sorry, folks. <laughs> yeah. Something about when you're exerting effort, it shuts down the, the thinking mind uh, enough where it actually just, then it just gets flooded with all of the ideas from your subconscious or something. I don't know. Same thing happens to me. And, uh, it's, it's why it's one of those things that I try to remember. Maybe this is a, we'll throw out a challenge for somebody listening today. Uh, when I want to take a break from work, you know, we tend to think about walking or like just going outside for a walk is like, well, I'm not being productive. I could be sending like these 40 emails right now and I got to do this, this and this. But actually just taking the break and just taking the walk or the run or the exercise or whatever is being productive if you want to look at it that way because you're giving your brain a chance to breathe and you're giving yourself an opportunity to be flooded with these ideas and these creative visions. And so it's, it's, it's how I've been able to reframe kind of like, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time for this. Well, no, like you make time for it because this benefits everything. Yes, 100%. You know, I hope that wasn't too much of a rant, but. No, no, no. I 100% believe that. Yeah. You guys mentioned this as being an adult gap year. What did you do 
what else did you do? It was sounds like it was a half year, but did you do anything else after the hike or before? not after, but before, um, before we went, we actually flew to Southern Italy to, um, one of, so Jim and I, we're into brainstorming as we were brainstorming our gap year. I like wanted to live in the city because we had just moved to the country in Vermont. I wanted to live in the city. So we actually were in, Na- we moved, uh, went to Naples for 10 days. It wasn't all that long, but 10 days in Naples, which is a very interesting city. And, you know, most people go to Rome or Florence or something, but we decided to go to Naples and stayed there for 10 days. And then we went and walked in the Malfi coast. And then we went down to Sicily for about a month and just did day walks in Sicily, um, just getting in shape and, you know, falling into the European way of life of um, longer meals and delicious mm-hmm. <laughs> longer meals. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how we got um, that was one way that we got in shape for, um, and pa- we carried day packs, not, not our full packs, but then, um, and then we flew up to the Netherlands and, and started the GR5. But no, after the GR5, we were done with our gap year. Um, so we were in Europe five and a half weeks, but I also include the three months beforehand when we were doing all the research as, as, as the gap year. I really yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. And you guys carried everything yourselves, right? There was no service that took, yeah, you just have to pack your stuff and, and go. Any tips on the packing side of things? You know, again, simplicity, simplicity, um, you know, find the pair of shorts that you love and the, the shirt you love. So, you know, I have fair skin and I didn't want to get burnt and we were in, you know, May and June. So in July, so Sun shirts, sun, really good sun hat. It took me a while to find the right sun hat that wouldn't get blown off. Um, I carried an iPad mini to take notes. And we also, you know, we have adult children and we both have parents alive. So we, you know, it was important for us in the evenings to connect, uh, be able to connect and, you know, FaceTime with our family. And um, we didn't totally close off. We did turn, we used our phones um, for Gaia for our GPS, but we would turn off, you know, I wasn't looking at Facebook or anything like that while I was walking. I definitely wanted to be turned off during the daytime. But in the evening time, we did connect with the outside world. And it also helped with planning, obviously. Um, Anything else about I I used walking poles, Jim did not use walking poles. Um, You know, you have to find out you know, what works for you. Um, yeah, I can't think of, I, 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 I'm one of these days I'm going to start, I do have a packing list and I'm going to put it up on my website. It's not up yet. (laughs) It's all good. The concept of slow travel, it seems like you got pretty passionate about that and tying in with this question of, uh, some of the characters you met along the way, some of the opportunities you had slow traveling, as opposed to if you were doing it a different way, you want to just share in your opinion, what some of those benefits are of this type of travel. As you're walking, I think also having a backpack, people are more apt to stop and talk to you, especially in France. Um, the first 10 minutes that we were in France, we ran into an older couple who were walking and, he stopped and, you know, asked me in French, where are you walking? And my French is not all that good. So I answered him in English. And, um, and then he said, Oh, I just love to walk. And, you know, we had this little conversation. And he was the one who said to walk, it is to see it. And what he meant is to walk a country is to see a country. Um, So when you have a backpack on, and you are walking, people will stop and chat with you. And, um, and I think walking into a small hotel with a backpack on too, people are, they know that you, you know, haven't just come in on a quick bus tour and you're going to, you know, spend an hour or spend the night and be gone. And yes, we were spending the night, but, you know, asking for if the hotel didn't have, a, or the place we were staying didn't have a restaurant, you ask them where, you know, good re- ideas, like all travel. But um, I think the walking um, uh, people have more compassion for you <laughs> and uh, want to connect. And then obviously through the Alps, many other Europeans are doing that's more 
of a, you know, a real active trail. So we ran into other walkers and we would see them, you know, for a while we'd be on the same pattern with them, which is similar to people walking the Appalachian Trail where um, you get to know people day after day. Um, and they were, you know, we got to know an, an Austrian, we got to know um, a couple of one from England, one from France. So um, yeah, it was just a great way to get to know other travelers. And that's when we started hearing about all these other trips, like the GR20, which is walking across Corsica, um, you know, the, um, the GR10 and the GR11, which is across the French Pyrenees and the Spanish Pyrenees, so, um, or the Spanish side, and then the coast to coast in England, all these trails, I had not really been, I guess I had heard of the coast to coast in England, but that was about the only one I had heard of. So it, that, you know, talking trails was a lot of fun. You gearing up for the next one, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> are you though? I'm mean, serious. Are you? Uh, uh, well, we are, um, uh, right now I'm working, the book just came out. So my adventure is, uh, bringing the book out into the world, but yes, we are, uh, one of the ones top high on my list is, um, uh, Munich to Venice, which is a 30 day walk. And I love the idea of walking out of Munich and then you go through the German Alps, the, um, the Austrian Alps and then the Dolomites and then down into Venice. That one mm. sounds really, it, I guess many Germans too. Um, the guidebook just calls it Munich to Venice. I think it's called the way, but it's in German. So I, I don't, I need to find out exactly. I don't remember the, I'm a, sorry, the name no, of no. that one. That's great. It's uh, a lot of inspiration, I think in this episode for exploring some of these opportunities to slow travel in a unique way. And to explore Europe. I, I, I love that these trails exist. I love that they're maintained. I love that uh, you can get up and get out on one. I appreciate you taking the time to share your your experience out on it. I, I should mention the book one more time, To Walk It Is To See It. And uh, I know you have all the links on your website, which we'll link to in the show notes. Do you have any other places you want people to find you or get in touch? Or is the website, is your homepage the best? Uh, the homepage is the best. Also, Instagram, if you want to um, see pictures. And on my website, I have pictures from the GR5, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Any other resources you wanted to share? You mentioned some great ones, but is there is there any anything we missed in this conversation? Any major holes? It's like, I really wish uh, There's something called um, Waymarked Trails. Um, and maybe you can put this in the show notes. It's hiking.waymarkedtrails.org. And basically, it has all of the walking. I'm not sure if it has all, but it has many, many, many of the walking trails in Europe um, on this amazing map. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see it right here. Wow. So that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Link up to that as well. Thank you so very much for your time and best of luck with the, the book and everything and look forward to staying in touch. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Cheers. There you have it. Thank you to Kathy for stopping by the show. A couple of my favorite moments from that chat. First of all, her advice on how to find a compromise when you are trying to plan a trip with somebody else and you have two different ideas of what adventure means to each of you. Say out into the universe, we're looking for some trip that's going to work for both of us or, you know, um, and, and being open to having the answers come to you. Now, whether you believe the universe is going to answer you back or not, I don't think really is the point. The point is that you're opening up the dialogue for what it really means to have an adventure together that that works for both of you. And I think uh, this is a great example of that wanting to get the taste of adventure, but still having the comforts. There's always a way to find that balance. So I love that. And of course, wise strength. You heard Kathy speak on that in the conversation saying, you know, we're all stronger than we think. And maybe it's just that we have to do it at our own pace, not the external pace of the world, anyone else's pace. We need to trust our own pace. And I think that's important, which is essentially just saying we all have this inner strength. And as long as we're 
we're, we're aware of that inner wisdom and we, maybe we don't try to compare our uh, strength to anybody else or look at strength as a societal construct and, and then measure our strength against that construct. We just embrace our own wise strength, whatever that means to each of us. So I wanted to leave you with that. And a quote on strength from Herman Hess, who said, some of us think holding on makes us strong, but sometimes it is letting go. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Peace and love to you and yours. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.